Father Godward, it's, uh, it's been an incredible weekend. This morning when I was, uh, I got up here early to, to finish a few things on my lesson, and I was watching um, the teens uh, practice for worship. Uh, I just got this overwhelming sense of gratitude and just emotion, just seeing them up there worship with their hearts, God, and, and um, being able to look back and be like, I remember when you were born, I remember when you were three, and now to see them grow up and walk in your ways, God, is just, it's really awesome to see, God. I pray that um, when we're old, old, like Robert old, that we can um, be like Caleb, a man who charged up the mountain in the name of the Lord to, to, to conquer and to, to claim victory, God. And I, I pray that we do everything for your glory, God. Speak through us, speak, uh, keep our hearts soft, keep everyone's hearts soft, God, so we can hear your word, apply it to our lives, and go out to do some awesome things in your name, God. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so this weekend we've already talked about uh, personal culture, right, being authentic and being an intentional. We've talked about a ministry culture, right, about also being authentic, full of grace, community-minded, Bible-centered, clear, and excellent. And now we're going to talk about a culture of discipleship, not only within ourselves, within our ministries, within our church, and within the kingdom. So what does that mean for us? Here's what Corey Trimble says in his book. It's someone who wholeheartedly and genuinely follows Jesus, follows the written word of God despite cultural shifts, and is fully involved in a local church. That's how they define disciple. The Renew or Discipleship.org defines it like this. Someone who is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and is committed to the mission of Jesus. Now, most of you in this room have heard this already which is not in the same form. Let's kind of walk through part of our discipleship study, right? Someone who is following Jesus. Sounds a lot like hold to his teachings, right? Abide in God's truth. Ashley and Argy just did an awesome lesson about living by truth full of grace. All right, and this is being changed by Jesus. So love one another, the second trait of being a disciple. So love one another, but also... Bearing the fruits of the Spirit. We could all, a lot of us could sing the song, because the fruit of the Spirit, right? Right? <laughs> if you've got kids or been in the kids' ministry, living by the Spirit, being changed to be like Jesus. And then the last part, being committed to the mission of Jesus. Being committed to the mission of Jesus. Bearing the fruit of other disciples. Our third trait in our discipleship study. Bearing the fruit of other disciples. So to be a disciple means to live by God's words, to let Jesus change your heart, to live for him, to love one another, to bear fruit, but then also not to get that stuff and hold it in, but to share it. I said I wasn't going to tell anybody, but I it to myself. Oh, couldn't keep it to myself, Right? That was my chance, Ashley, for the worship team. You heard how good it went? Yeah? Okay. We signed Interbelt up for worship tonight, so you guys are in for a treat. All right, so I have a question for y'all. Are you all really following Jesus? Are you all really following Jesus? One more time for those in the back. Are you all really following Jesus? That's a question, right? Are you committed to his words? What about when things get rough? It's really easy to live by Jesus' words and to be a disciple when everything is smooth sailing. But what happens when things get rough? 
when times get hard, when a close family member gets a disease, lupus, cancer, COVID, and you begin to question, why, God, why? Is it easy to be a disciple then? No, it's not easy to be a disciple then. But a disciple is committed to that above everything else. And that's a culture thing. Do you know how I learned to do that? I could look around me and see other disciples in hard times living by Jesus' words. What about when society's on its head? This last six months in America has been pretty rough, right? Been really rough. What about then? When being a disciple clashes with the way that you were raised. And I'm not just talking one side of the aisle or the other side of the aisle. I'm talking about all sides of the aisle there. What happens when being a disciple and living by Jesus' words clash with, with the way you brought up and the, what you thought your whole life? The call isn't circumstantial. What happens when your old wounds and your trauma gets re-triggered? And you feel so justified in your anger and in your emotions that you push aside God's words. A disciple lives by Jesus' words no matter what is going on, no matter what happens to them. So are you really committed to following Jesus? But are you also, are you being changed to look like Jesus? The way people see me now and Jake and Brett when they became Christians, the way they see us now is way different than when we became Christians. Because over the years, we've allowed God's words to seep into our hearts, to change some stuff, and to become more like Jesus. So you have to ask yourself, are you allowing yourself to be a disciple and to be changed to look like the master? No student is above his teacher, but those who are fully trained will become like their teacher. A lot of people, I hear this a lot. It's just who I am. Deal with it. Oh, I'm going to deal with it. I love you. I'm going to love you right where you are. But if you're not trying to be like Jesus, I'm going to deal with it. With truth and grace. So you can become like Jesus. And I know the leadership within our four churches is committed to just that. And then also, are you really committed to the mission of Jesus? Is that your number one? Is it above your friends? Is it above your family? Is it above your dream, your degree, your jobs, the sports, hobbies, video games, the TikTok, snappy chats, Instagrams? Sadly, many of us claim that Jesus' mission is number one in our lives but then we slowly compromise away God's truth and allow other things to become our top priority. God has blessed me with a wonderful wife. You got to hear her heart last night. She's amazing. But if I'm not careful, my beautiful and God-centered wife can become my everything. I've got three amazing kids. And if I'm not careful, those kids can become my God. I'm part of an amazing church. I love the Interbelt. I love all the Crossings families. But if I'm not careful, even my ministry and my church can become my God. Jesus is my number one priority. And the disciple knows that. And they don't compromise on that.
So someone who is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and committed to the mission of Jesus. So how do I do this? Do can be very general, and we're going to deal with They're going to deal a little bit, and we've been dealing with that. I think the better question for me right now to ask you is, how can I do this? How can I do this? Well, we build relationships, right? And this week, we've talked a lot about building relationships. And in those relationships, you learn several things. You're going to learn things about Jesus. You're going to learn about his, his word, his mission, his dreams for your life. But in that, you're also going to learn a lot about the people that are discipling you. Where's my man, Carrie? at? Is he still in here? Carrie in here? Yeah. So one of the things I learned about Carrie, does anyone know what one of his favorite cartoons was growing up? Someone shout it out if they know it. Where was it? Who said it? He-Man. Carrie loves He-Man. I mean, he buys, like, He-Man clothes. So, uh, Matt, you got the clip. Can someone get, like, the light here? I'm just going to play a little clip from He-Man because some of you may not be familiar with all the glory that is in the 80s cartoon of He-Man. Okay? So play this clip. By the power of Skull. those lights back on. I have the power, and then He-Man will go and wreck house. What if I told you you have been empowered? Each and every person in here that you have been empowered. Have you ever felt empowered like that whenever you just have this feeling that you could do anything? That you could run through a wall? I was talking to Hannah about this. I used to work at a restaurant in Gulf Shores called Zeke's. And the manager of that restaurant was this old Greek dude. His name was Jimmy. He was probably about 5'5", five, five, bald dude. He's, uh, they called him Jimmy the Greek. He was like a, a wannabe Greek mobster, mafia guy, but he wasn't in the mafia. And they were so busy, it didn't matter if people got kicked out or gave a bad review or any of that stuff. So if someone asked to speak to a manager, I would just simply say, you don't want to do that. And as a server, if you've ever worked at like a corporate restaurant... That is like the worst because corporate never has your back. You always get run over. You're going to tip is going to take a hit. You're going to have to give out free stuff. It's terrible. But not at Zeke's. Like, you don't want to do that. Why? Because you're about to get thrown out of here. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. Go get the manager. Mar Mario was probably about 6'3", big Italian guy. Tanner, will you stand up back there? Tanner's down like some steps. Tanner's a big dude, and Mario made Tanner look small. And he would walk up, and he called, <laughs> he called this uh, Native American man, um, Mark, Geronimo. And he called me Her uh, Hercules, because I'm half Greek. And me and Geronimo, Mark, and Mario would go get to kick people out of the restaurant. So as a server, I felt like I had unlimited power to do whatever I want. Within the confines of what the boss would tell me to do. And here's what you need to know. You've been empowered by the boss. And as long as you operate under his operating instructions, you can do whatever you want. 
It means following his word. That means being changed to be like Jesus. And that means being committed to follow the mission. And some of you all are too scared to go out and live out that mission in your life. Why did Jesus have to come? One of the first things he says to his people, come follow me, he said, and I will send you out to fish for people. He's saying, you know what? I've empowered you to start doing this mission. I've come so you could go and do this. You are my plan A. There is no plan B. I'm going to change. I'm going to train you up, and I'm going to send you out to be disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And we need to be that. You've, you've been made a disciple. Your mission here on earth is to make other disciples. We are churches who are going to plant churches who plant churches. And in order to do that, we need to make disciples who make disciples. You have been empowered to do that. He says in John 14, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do works, do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. Jesus walked on water. Jesus fed 5,000 people with very little provisions, five loaves and two fish. And he said, you're going to do greater things than this. You have been empowered. He came to let you know that you can do the mission. You can do it. But sadly, we sit back and we say, but I'm not this and I'm not this. And we, our insecurities take over and our fear takes over. You want to know why the campus ministry grew from seven people to like 90 people by the time they kicked me out? They didn't kick me out. I went to work in the youth ministry. You want to know why? Because people were so committed and so empowered that they ran forward like Caleb in that prayer to charge up the mountain to take the campus of Lindenwood University. And if we're going to do that within our communities, we have to know that we are empowered by Jesus Christ, and we have a mission to go out and do it. But if it's just by us, it's not going to work. So Jesus says at the end, you know what? Continuing John in 14, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. This is in 16 and 17 and 26 and 27. You will have an advocate to help you to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you, and he will be in you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I have with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give it to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid." Acts 2 says that when you surrender your life in baptism, that you get an, get an advocate. You get a power to come within you, to live within you, to help you complete that mission. So Jesus came to say, you know what, you can start that mission, but then he sends his spirit to you so you can go out and fulfill the mission. We just sent a church plant to Columbia. Six years ago to the inner belt. Three years ago to Collinsville. In three more years, we're going to send out another church plant. And then hopefully it starts to just kind of multiplicate. Multiply, whatever, right? Yeah, it's a Robert word. He, uh, he sent that to me. 
right? But hopefully from there, it begins to replicate where the inner belt is going to be sending out church plants. Or maybe the inner belt and Collinsville team up and we send out a church plant. Because we've raised up people because disciples are making disciples. You've been empowered to do so. You've been given God's spirit to help you complete that mission. We have to have a culture of discipleship within our churches. From the very first study that Carrie sat down, and we only did one. We did them all in one day, right? But he talked to me about planting churches from the very first day. You guys are going to be church planners. That's why I said that the other night. we got to have a culture of discipleship within our churches. It starts from the very first day, and it doesn't let up. Because people's eternities are at stake. I thought it'd be cool and bring my laptop up here, but I don't have an iPad or anything, so I'm going to use my phone. Uh, I don't have the fancy stuff like these guys do yet. Um, but, you know, TC talked about this idea of going and creating disciples, and I'm going to talk about a couple simple steps on how to do that and, and just some simple things on how we can create clear expectations of what it is to be a disciple and how we can go through a discipleship process with people that we're reaching out to, people that we're meeting, and even people in our ministries. And so, um, you know, as we go through this, uh, I just want to start with some of the same things that uh, were talked about before. Close Speak enough. up. Sorry, guys. I'm a little new to this. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, you know, one of the things is we have to create relationships. TC talked about creating relationships. And to start that, you know, we have to go out into our communities. Are you willing to and are you taking initiative to go into your communities and to the crowds of the world and to take initiative to build relationships with those people? Um, are you willing to say hi to them or, you know, like the, Carrie and Hannah talked about, are you willing to talk about their T-shirts or their shoes and I want to give a quick example of something that's been super awesome since we've already been here. There's a server upstairs, and uh, he's been, you know, my table server for a couple of days, or a couple of weeks, or meals this week. And uh, so he, uh, <clears throat> I saw his shoes, and I was like, hey, man, like, I like your shoes. And we started to kind of talk a little bit. And I found out he actually goes to Mizzou and lives in Columbia, Missouri. And so that was so cool, and we got to talk about how He's actually going back to Columbia today, and hopefully he'll come hang out with us this Tuesday. He said he's going to try and make some time. But that doesn't, like, that's going to be so cool to create something so awesome from a simple conversation about tennis shoes. And so, but we, I had to go to the restaurant. You know, I had to go into the crowds, into the world, and start conversations. I had to take the initiative to talk to him instead of him trying to talk to me about certain things. So when you guys go, and if we're going to create expectations um, about making disciples, one of the first things is, are you going into the crowds and into the world and saying, hey, like, I'm going to take the initiative to talk to them, and I'm going to go in and meet people. Um, if, you, if you're going to make disciples, you have to meet people. They're not going to just come to you. Um, you know, TC talks a little bit about the Great Commission at the end of his, his portion, and so Jesus says, go in, and go and make disciples. You have to go first and take the initiative to go into the world. Um, you know, guys, as we're taking the initiative to go into the world and talking to people, one of the next steps about this is, is inviting people into your life, inviting people into the things that you do. Um, do you invite people to cross-chat? Do you invite people 
to go to the store with you, to come to restaurants with you, to meals with you, to, to get coffee and things like that, and build those relationships even more. Guys, cross chats are one of the easiest things to invite people to. They're like, they're games, there's free food. To be honest with you guys, like I wouldn't be here if there wasn't free food. Let me just be honest with you. Most of you guys know that I love to eat food, and the reason I went to cross chat was because RJ and Ashley had like all this food at their house, and they just kept feeding me and feeding me, and I kept coming back and kept coming back and kept coming back. And, but that allowed me to create relationships with them and allowed them to be a part of my life and involved in their life and have conversations about the Bible and to be a part of Cross Chats and to, to learn and to grow. And I got to see how their lives were and, and how to be a disciple and to be involved in other people's lives. And so, guys, are you inviting people to Cross Chat? Are you invest, asking them, hey, come be a part of my life? You're taking them from the crowd to your community of people. And, and are you asking them, hey, like, let's study the Bible. You know, once you, once you get them to, to see that they're a part of your life, are you allowing them to say, hey, like, let's take this next step. Why don't I teach you a little bit more about what Jesus and what he can do and how he can change our lives and how he can change your life into something so awesome so that you can go out and do this next, the same thing for other people. And so when we talk about that, we go, there's a funnel, and I wish I had a picture of it, but it, it starts with the crowd, and then we move into this community of people, and that's involving people in your life, in your community. And then we go to this committed stage with a lot of people in this discipleship process. And there's, this is the, the stage where people are studying the Bible and being baptized. You know, guys, this, the whole process of church planting and creating disciples, you, we have to be baptizing people and reaching people. Um, I know it's not the biggest thing about numbers, but you have to at least be starting somewhere. You know, there has to be at least one person to be able to go to two, to three, to multiplicate, like TC was trying to say earlier. Um, so uh, <laughs> I'm the math guy. TC's the wrestler. But, um, you know, to be able to do that, to be able to multiply, to be able to plant churches, to be able to create disciples, to create clear expectations of what it is to be disciples, we have to see that baptism is important. You know, guys, when we, when we study the Bible with people, we see, we look at scriptures like you have to seek God first, and then we go in and teach them about what sin is, but then we also go teach them about the expectations of what a disciple is. And then we talk about baptism with them, and then we talk about how we can, they, they can go do the same thing for other people. We look at the Great Commission with them, and we say, hey, is this something you want to do? Is this something you're committed to? And, you know, as, and most of you guys have done that, if not all of you guys have done that. He said, I want to go create disciples. I want to go into the world. I want to obey the Great Commission. And so when we do that, you know, when we say I'm committed to this, you know, we go and study the Bible with people. We create committed disciples, and we get to teach people how to go and do this. So are you initiating the conversation with people? Are you inviting them into your life? Are you studying the Bible with people, guys? And, and honestly, like, if you're not willing to commit to saying, hey, I want to study the Bible with people, like, where, why not? Like, somebody did that for you. Your life was changed because somebody studied the Bible with you. And so are you willing to do that for somebody else? Um, so just kind of my last question, I'm going to turn it over to Jake, is are you guys communicating and portraying the importance of going out and obeying the commission and obeying the thing that you committed to when you were baptized? Sorry, I don't have phone notes. I wish I, I probably should have. Um, but yeah, so I'm just going to jump in with what Brett was saying because, 
You know, when we start to baptize people, when we start to bring people into the church, you guys are going to find out very quickly, spending any time around the crossings, is that this is a young church. This is a young churches, and we, 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 we spend a lot of time on our student ministries. And what that means is that there is a huge need for leadership, a huge need for leadership within our churches. And it's not just meant to be for a handful of people. You know, most churches that fail usually have one youth leader with 65 kids, and they don't, they, don't, they don't hand off those responsibilities, and they don't raise up future leaders. And when you look around this room, you know, I'd say probably a fourth of the people in this room are in some sort of leadership position or have some kind of influence on you students' lives. And as we make, these, as we make disciples and as we bring people in, we have to, at the same time, be equipping the next generation to become leaders. You know, it's kind of cool hearing that whole youth ministry be up here because I'm like, I'm looking and it, you know, some people are like looking at that, that youth ministry up here singing and like, man, that looks really cool. And I'm looking at it being like, that's two church plant worship teams right there. <laughs> you know, like they're ready to go. The, the, the youth ministry has got the worship teams down. We just got to figure out all the other, all the other areas of our life. Right. And so it's cool to see that people are stepping up and especially even in the worship ministry. It'd be cool. You know, a lot of people have egos about worship and they're like, this is my stage. This is, this is my thing. This is my voice and whatever it is. But to be able to set that aside and let, let's, let's have these kids do something. You got to set that up because just like Ashton is saying that one day we're going to die. We're not going to be here. We need to know that people are not just going to have those things to know that our kids are taken care of, but that we know that our kids are going to be able to take care of the next generation of kids. Who's going to take care of your kids? Who's going to take care of your grandkids? Heaven forbid, I don't think we'll be, Danny won't be around. That's for sure. You know, um, some of these people will not be around to take care of a lot of people, you know, and we've got to start raising up these leaders. And so what are we doing to help this next generation? And so some of this, you know, we don't spend a lot of time on this, but I'm going to, I'm going to take a minute to talk to you leaders about this stuff, because you need to understand that you have a role in how you set a, you step aside to set up the next generation. And so I got a quick little questionnaire that maybe will help some of that and figuring out what is your mindset and your motive as you guys walk through your leadership in your small groups. So just kind of just kind of listen to this and see if any of these apply to you. Whenever you guys have your time as leaders, do you usually start and end the prayers? Do you are you the one that's praying? Or are you handing that off to other people to give them opportunities to have a voice in your small group? Are you the only person who has communion and small group lessons? Are you handing those off to let your other people learn how to do those things? And I'm not saying this is 100% of the time, but are are you controlling these areas? Do the guys and your girls in your group only respond to you and the group texts? You know, whenever there's group chats and somebody's like, hey, let's do this, hey, let's do that, and there's no response, but like once you as a leader steps in, boom, everybody's like responding, right? That might be toxic to what they look at is in that group. Do you let others in your group make plans or do you control it all? Does, everyone, does anyone ever have a voice? Do they ever say, you know, let's try this, let's go to this place, let's try this move or whatever it is, or do you control everything when it comes to make plans? When you spend time with people in your group, are they always coming to you? Do they always come to your house? Or do you go out to them? When someone needs to get something done, do you just go do it yourself because you know it's going to be easier to do it by yourself? Or do you bring people along with you? Do you lead every single Bible study you're in? Every single time there's somebody needs to study the Bible, are you the one leading it because you know you're the best at it or that you're the one that can communicate it the most clearly? Or are you giving your ministry opportunities? And the last one, are you physically the only one baptizing people in your small group in your ministry? 
Are you the only one that's got that hand on that back of that head as they go down? And all these things, they're not necessarily bad things to be doing as a leader because you should be doing those things. But if you are the only one in your ministry doing that, there's a problem. You are not equipping the next generation to know how to do any of this stuff. And so as leaders, we, we need to understand that no team is going to thrive whenever the coach just teaches and makes everybody sit on the bench. Nobody's going to be equipped to play because they're never going to have that practice time to know what it looks like. And this is, you know, my ego has, has definitely been challenged as well because, you know, I think that we think that whenever we have to step out of the spotlight as a leader, it's going to lessen our value. You know, that we're not as needed or we're not as important or we're not, you know, since we're not the face anymore, we don't necessarily need, there's not a feeling of being needed. And every leader knows that it feels good when you're needed, right? You know, like whenever, whenever you know that there's people in your ministry that need your help or they need financial, you know, help or they need to be fed or they need to be clothed or they need to be, you know, just have somebody to talk to. It's, it's a good feeling to know that you can be that and you can provide that. And sometimes we think if we watch other people in our ministry step up and do those same things that we're not necessarily needed anymore. Even like with parents, I know there's not a lot of parents in here, but that empty nest syndrome they talk about when your kids go off to you know, college or whatever and you're left at home and, and you have that feeling of like, I'm not necessarily needed as much as I was as I was. But I do believe that a smart and godly leader gets out of the spotlight and lets the other students step up to equip. You know, it says in 1 Corinthians 12, 12, we've heard this so many times, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. You know what I believe the body part is that the leader presumes? I believe it's the heart. Because the heart of the body keeps everything else going. It keeps everything else growing. It pumps blood to every single part of the body and helps mature and grow. But I can't see any of your hearts right now, right? I can't physically look at your heart and say, that's a good looking heart. That's a look at that heart, you know, because the heart is hidden, but it's always working. It's always helping things grow. And that's what a good leader looks like. A good leader doesn't think that they're the face of the body. They become the heart of the body. And sometimes we like to be that face. And so leaders, this is, you know, this is a good reflection time. Are you trying to be the face or are you trying to be the heart? Because only one of those things is going to help your ministry grow. And only then, whenever you presume this as a leader, you'll be able to move on to this next, this next section, which is being able to empower disciples of Jesus to make more disciples. You will not make a group grow being the face of your ministry, but you will being the heart. And if we're called to make disciples, being disciple makers and having discipleship, we need to understand that we, we need to have a, a plan set in place. We need to be focused on certain things as the heart so that our people can grow and mature. And as you guys will start reading in this book that we're going to start talking about, there are six things that, the, that this book talks about that we need to be focused on as leaders. And now you students aren't off the hook anymore either because these are the things that you need to start practicing now to get yourselves in positions to grow able to be mature and to hand that off to somebody down the road as well. And so if you're a leader in this room, you need to be looking at these things and saying, am I imitating these things? And if you're a student, you need to be looking at these things saying, am I practicing these things?
with the small group that God has given me, with the ministry that God has given me to practice these things with, because you don't get to go out in the world and practice these things immediately. You, God, God has kind of given you like a team. It's just like any sports team, right? You go to practice and you practice your skills, you practice your talents with your team so that when you go out into the, into the world, into the opponents, you've already got it done. You've got it down. And the same thing needs to happen here. And so I'm just going to zip through these things, and we'll talk about these more. And as you guys read that book, you'll see more of them. But the first one's communication. Are you communicating with people around you? Are you communicating with your ministry? Are you the one that's always, you know, hidden? Do you ever respond to the groups? Do you ever call people back? Do you ever initiate phone calls? Leaders, it's for you too. Are you the one just, are you calling your ministry? Are you getting with people? Students, are you guys communicating with one another and with your leaders? Accountability is number two. Are you holding people accountable and are you being held accountable? Doesn't matter if you're a leader or a student, these things go hand in hand for both of you. Teaching. Are you teaching? Well, you students are like, I don't have to be teaching anything. I'm a student. No, (laughs) there's always going to be fresh people in your ministry. There's always going to be baby Christians in your ministry. There's always somebody that you should be teaching. I don't care if you just got baptized yesterday. Your time starts now. It's time to teach but what are you teaching? Are you learning, right? Listening, that's a good one because I'm terrible at that. (laughs) Uh, Listening, do you listen? Do you sit and listen as a leader? Do you listen to your ministry or do you just command? As a student, do you sit and listen or are you the one that's always taking the spotlight? Equipping leaders, are you guys equipping your ministry? Are you getting them ready for the war that they have to go out into in the world? Students, who are you equipping? Who are you being equipped by? And then the last one is releasing. Are you letting them go out, leaders, and take the stand and and be able to do these things for themselves and just letting them, you know, trial by error, letting them, it's okay to let them fall. It's okay to let them mess up. It's time to release them. You know, I'm, our ministry, uh, Collinsville, our campus ministry, when we go back, we're having two cells for the first time. And we're going to have two different cross shots for the first time. And it's cool and exciting, but it scares the mess out of me (laughs) because I'm a control freak. And I like to know that I'm the person that likes to know if it's better to do it this way, then we should just do it this way. But I'm never going to let my ministry grow if I try to control everything. I'm never going to give people opportunities if I'm always the one in charge. And what needs to happen is we need to start, like I said, leaders, we need to imitate these traits. And students, you need to start practicing these traits now. And this is the only way we're ever going to be churches that produce disciple makers, is if everyone's on board with this. You know, I hear a lot of times when we talk about disciple making and and making disciples and in other churches, I always hear that people say, it's not about the numbers. You know, it's not about the numbers whenever you're talking about, but when you look in scripture, it kind of is. It kind of is about the numbers. And we don't sit here and we don't grind every single stat. We don't look at, all right, we had 17 baptisms this year and that's, you know, 15% down from last year. You know, like we don't sit here and we don't look at it like that, but it is about the numbers. I don't want you to ever be mistaken on that part because when God says that you're gonna be a disciple, he says that you're going to make other disciples. It's a command and it is a part of understanding that you are a disciple yourself. And if you're in this ministry or if, you're, if you call yourself a disciple and you don't think that you need to make disciples or that you have any desire to make disciples, 
I would challenge that you are not even a disciple in the first place. And that would probably not go well in a lot of churches that I visited if I had made that comment. But it's the truth. Because one day you're going to die, and one day you're going to give your account to God, and he's going to say, hey, you remember in Matthew 28 when I said go and make disciples? What happened? Or hey, you remember in John when I said that this is how you're going to know that you're my disciple is if you bear fruit? What happened? And sometimes we we diminish this and we're like, well, I'm not ready to make disciples. I'm not prepared to make disciples. It should be somebody else's job to make disciples. If you are not making disciples and actively trying to make disciples, you are not a disciple, period. If you think you can be, you cannot be a disciple without being a disciple maker, period. Now, we have a lot to learn. We have a lot to grow in, but you have to have that ingrained in your head. They have to go hand in hand. And that's not just for our ministry to grow. That's for you to make sure that your calling and election is sure, to make sure that your relationship with God is legit and that it's committed and it's there. You have to know that that's a part of your life. And so leaders, you have a role in making sure that you're giving your students that opportunity to make disciples, but students, you got to understand that that is your role and you better be practicing that stuff now because one day it is gonna be up to you you're going to be married, you're going to have kids, and your kids are going to be looking at somebody for an example, and your, your old youth leaders aren't going to be there anymore. You're going to have to raise up and be able to be disciple makers, and it's not just for your physical family, it's for that world as well. You know, when I, I think about my life, and I say this not to boast at all, but I look at some of the men that I've had in my small groups over the years. And when I was in Winsville, I look at some of these guys like Ryan Ruckers. Is he in here somewhere? All right. Ryan's an awesome dude. I love Ryan. And and me and Ryan have deep roots beyond Winsville, you know? And I look at Ryan now, and he's a small group leader in the campus. Uh, Landon. Where's Landon at? Right? Right next to him. There we go. How convenient. Um, Small groups never die, huh? (laughs) Um, But, you know, Landon was a guy that I reached out to. and, uh, And Landon is a small group leader in the campus ministry there. Darren. Where's Darren at? Darren is a small group leader in the campus ministry. Is in our small group. All three of them are together. Brett is a campus minister on a church plant, you know? And then I got my guys on my side of the river now that we've been together, Alameda and Alalua and Nathan and Sean have all raised up to be leaders within our church. And then other guys that maybe, it's not even about the title. Shane and, and Jake have went on to a church plant. One of my best friends, David, is on a church plant with me and is married now. You know, and I look at these guys and I'm not boasting about this because I've never been like, look at me, look at what I've done But I know one day when I die and God asks me that question, I got some answers for him. You know, I got some people that I'm going to say, listen, God, I didn't, I didn't just bring them, look at me and what I did with these people, but I had a hand in that. I brought them around. I communicated with them. I held them accountable. I I taught them. I listened. You know, I equipped them for these kind of things. And I'm not saying, look at where I'm at. A good leader, listen, guys, if you get anything else lesson, a good leader never says, look at me. A good leader says, look at them. Look at them. And when I look at these men, I'm so incredibly proud of them. And I don't look and say, look at what I did to these guys. I said, look at where these guys are at now because I know their stories and I know where they were from and I know where they're at now. And I'm so incredibly proud of them. 
And we have to be a ministry in a church that starts saying the same thing about our own life. We got to stop saying, look at me and start saying, look at them. Look at what, look at what's going on in their lives. And when we can start focusing on that within our own church, man, what is that going to look like when we can start focusing on that in the world? Look at them. Look at, look at those people in the world and what you guys are bringing them out of and what they get to have now. Because somebody did that for each and, one of, each and every one of you guys. At one point, somebody said, look at you, man. Look at where you're at. And look at you now. Good for you. Go do that for somebody else now. And so I got some questions for you guys to talk about in your discussions. And this is a challenge for some, of you, for some of you younger students. You need to have a straight talk with your leader, you know, and ask them some of these things. And so here's the challenge. Have a straight talk with your leader at some point, once you, whether it be today or this weekend or whatever it is. But, you know, for the leader, here's a question. Ask yourself, are you the heart of your ministry or are you the face of your ministry? Are you trying to be the heart pumping everything in or are you trying to be the face? And you students, same question. Do you feel like your leader's the heart or the face? And approach that. If, if, if there's anything that my campus ministry knows, it's that they know that I don't know what I'm doing, right? How many times has my men in my guys group, I've been like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> like, I don't know what, what to do, but I just want you guys to know that we're kind of all in this together. Like, we're working through this together. And I love it when I get feedback. Because when I was an athlete, it was the same way. I loved it when coaches came and corrected me and talked to me because I wanted to be better. And as a coach now, I hate it when I have to go to students and kids that are like, I don't need your help. Uncoachable, you ever heard that, the term? Students that are uncoachable, they'll never reach their peak because they're not willing to listen. And so as leaders, we have this set, you know, I love to be talked to and challenged on the way that I lead because I want to be the best that I can be. Another question, leader, are you imitating these six traits for your group to become disciple makers? And students, are you practicing those six traits with your ministry? And then lastly, for both groups, leaders and students, are you making a difference in the world? Are you making a difference in the world because of this? And if not, why not? I'm so glad that we're here with our student ministries, and it's so cool to see everyone here between all four of our churches and more to come. But like I said, guys, we are growing at an exponential rate between our churches, and there's a huge need for leadership to know their role and how that should look to, to set it up, but also there's a huge hole that we need leaders to step up and fill into those spots. And everyone in this room has a role. I don't care if you are a seventh grader up on this stage, you know, singing your heart out, or a Danny Lankford, you know, I'm throwing this guy on the bus all day, a Danny Lankford that is just here to be proud to see what things are going through. Every single one of us has a role in disciple making. It's just time to figure out where you fit into that plan and start getting on board and running with it. Let's pray. Um, guys, I just want to thank you so much. Uh, just for just for these guys, you know, TC and Brett, they're some of my closest friends. Um, and God, we all have, have had an awesome, you know, just an awesome example of what it looks like to be led and what it looks like to lead. And God, none of us know what we're doing 100%. None of us have this down. 
But God, it's just like any other team. We just want to learn. We just want to get better at it. We just want to be able to be those rookies coming in that just, you know, just trying to get to know how it works to the point where we can become veterans, Lord, and learn how to, how to raise up those rookies that come in ourselves. You know, and maybe one day if you bless us and you put us in that position, you'll turn us into a coach that can help facilitate that, God. And God, it, it, all of those things come into play because we never make it about a title. We make it about our influence. We make it about our heart. It's never look at me, it's look at them. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.